season two of the JKR podcast powered by Black Cobra Sports. My name is Jay Shriglin and I'm the host. Let's dig into today's episode after a word from our sponsor. JKR Podcast. My name is Jay Shrigling and I'm the host. Today we've got another top sports business professional on the podcast. We've got MLBPA certified agent and draft advisor, associate ESQ sports agency. We got Preston Chapman on the show. He's got a couple guys in MLB orgs right now, some guys in college that he's advising. Um, projected to have two to four draft picks this upcoming draft. Also had Kobe Robinson, his first draft pick drafted last year in 2021 MLB draft. So we talk about that today, talk about Kobe, talk about Kobe's evolution, talk about the certification process that he got last year in 2021. Also talk about building networks, his advice for some aspiring uh, MLB agents or just aspiring agents in general. I'll also talk about some stories he's had at ESQ. Um, So let's dig into that and I hope you guys enjoy. And welcome back to the JKR Podcast. Today we've got MLBPA Certified Agent and Draft Advisor, Associate ESQ Sports Agency. we got Preston Chapman out of Knoxville, Tennessee today on the podcast. Preston, super pumped to finally get you on the show. I know it's been a while since I reached out a while back, but how are you doing today? Everything's going good. Living the dream. Can't complain. Yeah, I see you've been super busy. You've been following you on Instagram, seeing it feel like you're in different cities every, every day. But uh, one question I like to start off the podcast with with everybody is, for those who don't know you, how would you introduce yourself? Yeah, so I'm Preston Chapman. I'm 27 years old. Um, always dreamed of being a sports agent. Um, it's kind of funny how it played out, you know. For the first time in my life, I thought, man, maybe I'll never be a sports agent. Um, got in a really good sales job, was making really good money. And then COVID hit, and, you know, I kind of looked in the mirror and said, okay, do I want to keep making good money and working corporate or do I want to go out and chase my dreams? So just out here trying to get it. Yeah. So you say you've always wanted to be an agent. So let's dig into that first. So when did you find it? When did you start having that dream of being an agent and what was it that made you want to be an agent? Yeah. Well, I was never the best athlete myself and I was always friends with really, really good athletes. And honestly, it started in probably fourth or fifth grade. Um, my friend's parents were like, you know, you're going to be their manager back before I even knew what agent was, and they're going to be the athletes. Um, and then when I got to 10th grade, I became friends with this guy named Connor Hawthorne that played baseball at South Alabama for a little bit. And his mom looks at me one day and she's like, have you ever seen Jerry Maguire? And I said, no, ma'am. She said, go watch that movie and come back over here. And ever since I've seen that movie, I was like, this is what I want to do with my life. It's what I want to be. So I'm pretty lucky. You know, I feel like I've had this calling since um, really early years. So was baseball, was that the sport that you were always wanting to do? Or was there ever a time where you're thinking, oh, maybe football, basketball could possibly be a possibility as well? Yeah. So funny enough, I actually, um, I played baseball up until middle school and high school. I never played. I played basketball a little bit um, my senior year of high school and I, I never thought it'd be baseball, but honestly, I just have the best connections in baseball. 
Um, I was always around Dillon's Dodgers back in the day. They had some loaded teams. I mean, that's the team that Mookie Betts grew up playing through and a um, bunch of, bunch of, bunch of studs over there and always hung around them and got to know those guys. And um, it just made the most sense. And, you know, baseball is more straightforward. You know, there's not as much dirty recruiting and um, other things to go on and take place. So kind of became a baseball guy. Um really my sophomore year of college. Before that, I was all basketball. So um, as you, you said, like your 10th grade years when you watched Jerry Maguire, and that's when you actually realized, hey, being an agent was going to be, that's what I'm going to chase and that's what I'm going to do. So when you were going through that college application process and going through college, like what was going through your mind? Like what was kind of your step-by-step process you were thinking at the time to become an agent? Um, so it's, it's kind of funny. Um, you know, my senior year, I played in like two or three games um, just because the coach and I were really good friends and we were really close. Um, but we had a couple of kids getting recruited for basketball. So every time the coaches would come in to recruit these guys, I would sit with the coaches and talk to them. Um, so actually out of high school, I was supposed to go to Ole Miss. It was set in stone um, and like real last minute had some family issues. And was like, okay, I'm going to go to Memphis for a year, a junior college in Memphis and reset. Um, I went there for a year and funny enough, um, Quanzo Martin actually reached out and was like, Hey, you can come in and be a manager and then transition into a coaching role. And from there I was thinking, okay, then I'd make connections and be able to do the agency thing, um, on the basketball side. Well, as soon as I, um, get that offer from Quanzo, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to take it. They're going to pay for my school. And, um, a, a week later, he actually took the job at Cal. So I was like, you know what? I could also went to Texas A&M, but they wanted me to stay in junior college one more year before they could get money to pay for me to go to school there. Um, and I was like, you know what? I just want to go to Tennessee and um, see what happens. And sophomore year, I became best friends um, with a guy that's currently my roommate now named Jordan Rogers and um, got to know him and through him, got to know the rest of the team and just built those relationships super strong and was blessed to see what they went through. Um, with their advisory and their agency experiences and um, majority of them were not very good. So it sounds a little corny, but I tell people truly, I want to be the change that I want to see in the agency world. You know, that's why I got in it because I saw what they went through and I know I can do better than a lot of these guys and what they're doing out there. Yeah. So currently you work for ESQ sports agency going out of college, you got that corporate job and then realized, Hey, I want to chase my dream. When exactly did you get um, connected with ESQ and how did that hiring process work for you? Um, So I got connected in August of the year COVID hit. So 2020, I believe. Um, And honestly, I was just at the point where I was like, I'm going to hit up every single agency that there is because I have these connections and I know what I'm capable of and someone's going to give me the opportunity. So I'm forever thankful for ESQ for just giving me the opportunity I mean, I think I told him when um, during the interviews, I was like, look, like I got these guys, like I can get some things rolling. I think they're just kind of like, yeah, okay. I mean, I'm sure a lot of people think, oh, I can go out and get clients tomorrow. Um, But I was actually able to do it. And I think that kind of opened their eyes and they're really impressed. Yeah. So who were some of those first clients that you were able to get um, when you first started there in August, 2020? Um, So two of my very first clients went, to the high school that I attended. Um, one of them's at Dyersburg State right now, Pierre Seals. Um, he's a corner outfielder. 
really good player, played Team USA growing up. Um, another one was Miller Riggins, a left-handed pitcher, um, goes to Kennesaw State now. He's a freshman there as well. Um, he's a really good player and just have a really good family connection with him. His sister and I were great friends in high school and um, got some friends to coach in the travel ball world. And before I even started, a couple months before, um, my buddy was coaching him at a game and called me after a game and was like, yo, there's this Kennesaw State commit that I just coached. And he was really, really good. Well, it turns out it's Miller Riggins, who, you know, I have that family um, relationship with. And he's a great kid. And so is Pierre. And got them right away. And then um, called one of my buddies at Tennessee and was able to pick up a kid over there and um, got rolling from there. Yeah. So at the time, that Kennesaw State, uh, Miller Riggins, and then the first guy you mentioned, they were still in high school at the time, correct? Correct. They're both seniors in high school. Okay. So at that point, you technically became their advisor. So when you technically become an advisor of a high school guy, how do you go about that process about saying, hey, I'm your advisor, and you're not actually their agent until they're actually drafted? Yeah, it's kind of funny, to be honest. It's like a little NCAA thing. Um, It's just really just a changing of the term. I mean, we're still working on the same thing. I mean, obviously, I can't buy them things. And um, go to certain extents, but I can still hook them up with trainers and everything along those lines. Um, so I try to build a personal connection. I mean, a lot of these guys um, come in and they'll meet you once and then they're like, trust me with your life. Um, so I like to build a relationship with the kid, build a relationship with the parent, the coach, whoever else may be involved. Um, and typically I talk to a kid for two or three months before we even start talking about baseball and what representation looks like, um, unless we're late in the process. Yeah. So obviously you have Miller Riggins, um, the second guy you mentioned, and the guy at Tennessee. Then you also have Kobe Robinson as a client. So are there any guys besides those four that you're working with right now? Yeah, I have I have uh, 14 guys under me. Okay. There's another guy named Cam Corsi that's also a pro. Um, he's in high A for the Diamondbacks. I'm really high on and we're really close. The Kobe Robinson story was kind of cool. Um, you know, I got a call. I was calling all these scouts, introducing myself, saying, hey, you know, I just – got started at this agency. It's been my dream. And, you know, I'm looking to add clients for the draft this upcoming year. And um, a scout for the athletic A's, he was actually not with the A's anymore. He's out of baseball. Called me and was like, hey, um, I know about this kid named Kobe Robinson. You need to go see him play. So I was like, okay. He was like, I think he'll be either a late draft guy this year or a high draft guy the following year, which would have been 2022. Um so I went and watched him play and really liked what I saw. And, you know, there were some cross-checkers at the game. And um, he was throwing like 90, 93 at the time, which is solid, you know. Um, and he went up to the MLB Draft League, and his goal was, I want to hit 95. Well, he goes up there, first outing, hits 95. They move him in a reliever role. Next outing, 96, 97. And all of a sudden, you know, before a month goes on, and he's up to 99. And my phone just starts blowing up with scouts calling me, trying to get up there to go see him. When's he going to pitch? You know, see an interest in the draft. And uh, it's a really cool experience. And just honestly, the maturity and the growth he's had in the past year, he's like a totally different person. So super proud of Kobe Robinson. And he's one to watch because he's extremely, extremely talented. Yeah, so you, you talk about the MLB Draft League last summer. So were you able to go watch him play in games last summer? And then what are your overall thoughts on the Draft League since it was its first inaugural season last year? Yeah, I was able to go see, and I picked up two of his teammates when I was there um, to represent. So super excited about that and 
have some kids going this year. And um, honestly, it's the closest thing to pro ball. Like it's going to get you ready and mature you. Um, a lot of these JUCO kids, because it is a largely JUCO based um, league. A lot of these JUCO kids, you know, they go to JUCOs close to home and it's their first time really getting away and seeing what the pro ball experience would look like. Um, so it's super professional league, great coaching, great competition. And I mean, it really prepares the kids. So I'd encourage everyone to go. Yeah. I talked to Hayden Jones. He played under, I believe he played under Coco Crisp last year. Um, he got drafted. He didn't get drafted. He signed as an undrafted free agent to the Reds. And he said he loved that draft league. And he had, if he had to like the opportunity to redo his season summer last year, he says he definitely would still be in it. So I'm glad, I'm glad the MLB came up with the draft league and I'm looking forward to seeing how they go forward with it in the coming years. Yeah, it's awesome. It's only got to keep growing and keep getting better. I mean, it'll just keep getting bigger and bigger. Um, it's really strong. And like I said, it's, it's the closest thing to pro ball you can get. Yeah. So I saw you've been, like I said earlier, I see you've been traveling a lot this, this spring. So uh, who are some of the guys you have coming up in this year's draft or even in draft classes coming up here in the next couple of years? Yeah, so um, I actually picked up a kid last this earlier this week named Chase Horse. I'm super excited about um, 90-93 from the left side high school kid up to 95. Um, really, really good arm slot, quick arm. Um, he's kind of undiscovered. So I think people just now are starting to find out about him. Um, and, you know, I'm super excited about him. Another name I was really, really excited about was Brady Robertson just an absolutely incredible talent. Um, I think, you know, the sky was the limit for him this year. Um, he's playing in a student faculty basketball game, jumped up to block one of his teacher shots, came down, tore an ACL. So uh, he's out for the year, but he'll be going to Tennessee next year. And um, under Frank Anderson, I mean, the sky is truly the limit for him. So it was kind of an interesting situation because he actually tore his ACL the year prior as well. Same ACL, right ACL. And um, so he was kind of under-recruited, didn't really get to get out and play very much. And um, this summer, it, it, it was funny. There would be like 15 pro scouts at the game, then like four or five colleges. Um, in Tennessee, really since the day I met him, he said it was his dream school. And um, Tello got out there to see him a couple times. And I think the second time B was like, wow, he's has undeniable talent, you know, quick arm, super projectable, great kid. So um, I think it was a no brainer, but it was kind of crazy that he in the summer going into his senior year and then he commits to Tennessee because I mean, a lot of those places are out of money and out of room, quite frankly. So you sent me your week, like your weekly schedule for this past week. You sent me that last week. So what does your average weekly schedule look like um, in the spring? What's it just look like on a weekly basis? And then like, what's your focus as you try to plan out these games to go to? Are you trying to go see guys you've already got committed to signing to during the draft? Or are you still trying to recruit some of these guys? Um, it's a good mixture of both. I mean, my schedule every week looks different, but I try to literally make it out and or watch as many games as possible. So Tuesday and Wednesday on midweek, I'll be watching six or seven games um, on my laptop. Um, I actually probably spend more time with guys that I have committed with me than most advisors do. Um, but I'm also out recruiting and um, got some younger dudes I'm trying to go after and looking at and got some college guys that are coming up through the draft um, in 2023 that I'm pretty excited about that I'm in on. So we'll see where the cookies crumble and 
or the dominoes fall, but I'm super excited about what I'm building and um, the opportunities I have in front of me. So let's dig into the recruiting process as a whole. So just how far in advance are you looking out for each draft class? So let's say for the class of 2024, have you been reaching out to some guys already or when exactly do you start looking for guys in a certain draft class? Yeah. So I honestly, I start, I'm right now I'm really pounding uh, the 2023 and trying to get it set up for this summer. Um, there are some 2024s I've talked to and have relationships with um, just as I know through certain people and, um, it makes sense to talk to them and even a couple 2025s. Um, personally, I like recruiting a year in advance of so 2023s, but unfortunately, the way the game works, I mean, you got to get out there early on some of these kids and build those relationships. So um, I'm actually going to start targeting early more often now, um, but I'm really focused on this year's draft and then next year's draft as well. So how do you initially make that first contact? Is it usually in person at a baseball tournament or a game, or do you usually give them a call, text, email? How do you usually make that first contact with those players? Um, it really just depends. I mean, the the way that I really like doing it is having a personal relationship. So maybe I know their hitting coach, or maybe I know their travel coach, or their summer coach, or their high school coach, or whatever it may be. Um, because, you know, I can't go to all their practices or all their games. I can't, I'm not around them every day. Um, so I like getting personal vouchers and someone that's like, hey, I know this kid. He's legit. He's a good kid. Um, because character really does matter, especially in this industry. Um, so that's how I prefer to do it. But sometimes, you know, I'll see a video and I'm just like, wow, this kid's a great talent. Go look him up on Perfect Game. Um, reach out from there. So when you actually do meet the player for the first time, what is that first conversation generally like? Because you said you like to build that relationship first before actually talking baseball. So are you just talking about their personal stuff or what exactly are you talking about in those first conversations? Yeah, so I'll ask them a tiny bit about baseball and then I'm like, okay, well, what do you like outside baseball? You know, and then try to build conversation from there. Um, because I tell everyone, you know, baseball is awesome as it is. It's only a chapter of your book. It's not it's not your whole book. It's not your life. And there's certainly things bigger than baseball out there. Um, so I like to know their other interests. And if you're really only focused on baseball, it's great. But at a certain point, you'll get burned out and um, get sick of it. And I see that a lot at the pro level with guys that I know. Um, you know, they get burned out or, you know, there's guys in the MLB that are out there playing and making millions. And they're like, I hate doing it, but the money's too good to pass it up. So, you know, I think you need to keep baseball in perspective um, and not put so much pressure on yourself, you know, enjoy other things, enjoy baseball, work hard at it. But at the end of the day, you know, I try to tell them they're a lot bigger than just baseball. So after that initial contact, how often are you usually like reaching out to some of these guys, having uh, phone calls with them? How often are you talking to some of these guys who are on your recruiting list? Um, I prefer to talk to guys after every game that they play in. So if it's a pitcher, you know, I'll talk to them after they pitch. If it's a hitter, I mean, I'll quite literally try to text them after every game and talk to them after every game, um, which is probably more than most. Um, but some kids, it's just like, you know, they want to talk every couple of weeks, once a month, you know, whatever it may be. So, you know, whatever the kid and the parents are comfortable with is what I'm comfortable with. It's not – I don't really look at it as like a cookie cutter, but I will watch their games and text them after their games, my thoughts, get their thoughts, and then, you know, talk about the game and how they can be better for next time. Yeah. So let's dig into Kobe Robinson just a little bit more. So he was drafted by the Padres in the 13th round. 
So how did that draft process go for you? Like the day of that he was drafted, what was going through your mind? And then when you actually did get drafted, how did that whole story unravel? Yeah. So the draft is always crazy. I tell um, people all the time until you hear your name called, don't believe it. Um, you know, Kobe, like I said, he blew up pretty late in the process. Um, and he went home from the draft league a couple of weeks early. His brother returned from the military. He said, hey, do you mind if I go home? And I said, you should go home and see him because you're about to get into pro ball and you're not going to be seeing him very much. Um, so he went home and saw his brother. And like I said, my phone was blowing up. We had four or five teams a week before the draft trying to get them down to go to these pitch in front of the whole organization, these pre-draft workouts. Um, and it came down to the point where we can be at one place at one time. He can't throw in Boston and then go throw in Lakeland, Florida, and then go throw at the Padres facility in Arizona. We can be at one place at one time. So I was like, okay, here's the most fair way that I'm going to do this. I said, I'm going to have a pro day. Everyone's welcome to come. And then if you can't make it because you have your pre-draft stuff going on and you have other people there, I'm going to video it and send it to you guys. Um, so we literally did that a day before the first round started. Um, so the Padres were able to come, sent the video to a bunch of other teams. Um, we knew he was going to get drafted. We just didn't know where. Um, we had some talks with some teams um, to try to get them midday two, and uh, kind of just some things fell through on that end. One of the guys that really liked him, Miss Crosschecker, never saw him, so the Crosschecker wouldn't sign off on it. So there was a team, um, a scout that was actually pretty upset as Crosschecker about it. Um, and then, you know, we were, we were going to fight for the right amount of money. We weren't going to go for um, less than slot on day two. Um, so we actually got a call in the eighth round from the Padres, and they said, hey, can we sign Kobe? And we said, yes. And they said 125000 We wanted $150,000. Um, kind of went back and forth, and they said, okay, well, we're going to draft him, and we'll figure it out. So he goes on Instagram live. He's already and um, the eighth round comes up and they draft someone else. And we're like, whoa, what just happened? So we call them back and they're like, the other guy went cheaper. Like we got a better deal. And we're like, okay, so we're doing this in the ninth round. They said, no, we're going to save money in the ninth and 10th round on our slots. And we'll talk to you tomorrow. Um, so that was with a couple front office guys and, um, that night, I mean, going into day three, I had 26 teams call me. Um, and it's funny enough, two of the teams that were the highest on him didn't call because they thought he had some maturity issues. Um, so got calls from just about everyone. And um, the area guy for the Padres called me the morning of day three and was like, hey, like, we're good to go today, right? I said, yeah, we're good to go. And um, we put a good plan in place um, to where – we weren't going to take less unless the 14th round started. Um, and really, I thought he was going the 11th round of the Padres, and that pick goes. And then I get a text in the 12th round saying, hey, we're taking him. 12th round goes, and he doesn't get picked. And um, 13th round comes up, and he's selected to the Padres. And um, funny enough, I think there's a chance he went the pick after. And if not, I mean, early 14th round, I mean, everyone won him, everyone. So. Yeah. Um, it was a cool story and honestly props to Kobe because a lot of kids in that situation get really anxious and rattled and wonder what's going on. Kobe was calm, cool, and collected through the whole thing. 
So you were with him throughout the entire draft process? I was not. I was at my house, um, and he was at his house in Knoxville. So okay. I was not with him during the draft process. Um, I like being by myself that way. I can answer the phone and have honest conversations because I know the conversations aren't always easy to hear. I mean, I'm fighting for one thing. They're fighting for another. Um, yeah. So there's a couple of teams on day three that I really thought, you know, the Padres were kind of the heaviest on them the whole time. And I have a great relationship with a bunch of their scouts. Um, but there's a couple other teams had heavy interest and um, a couple other teams I thought were actually going to slip in there before the Padres and get them. Yeah. So were the, is it for, for Kobe, is it just you that's working with them or like does ESQ or there like multiple agents that work as a team? Yeah. So last year um, I wasn't certified, which honestly certification really just deals with the 40 man roster. Um, and the MLB, it doesn't, it doesn't deal with any of the draft or anything like that. Um, so, yeah, I work with a guy named Omar Bradford, and he has some connections in the Padres front office as well. So we're working it together. Yeah. So where's Co- so Kobe, this is his first spring training this season. Is he going to be making low A, high A this season to start off opening day? Yeah, we're not sure where he's going to be yet. He's trying to figure that out right now. Um, but I do know the Padres are super high on him, and he's working really hard. Um, you know, he spent more time at the Padres spring training facility um, than he did his own home this offseason. So um, that was one of the things they told me when I talked to the Padres. It's like, look, we're going to take care of them. We really are going to value them. And, you know, there's going to be no worries. So that was another um, super attractive thing about the Padres and one of the reasons we wanted to, him to go there. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm hoping he makes a stop in Fort Wayne this summer. Fort Wayne's my hometown, so I'll be making sure to – go watch him pitch a couple games if he makes it to Fort Wayne. Awesome. Hopefully he'll get out there. Hopefully he'll get out there. I mean, I think, like I said, the sky's truly the limit. I mean, his athleticism and his ability with his arm is pretty dang special. So was Kobe, has he been your only draft pick at this point in your career so far? He has been my only draft pick. Yes. Um, Last year was my first draft started in September of 2020 last year's first draft. So, I mean, just the way it kind of works is you got to get some of these high school guys and then get them developed through college. Um, this year, I'm hoping to get, it's looking like somewhere between two to four kids drafted, hopefully. Um, so we'll see how it goes. I mean, like I said, with the draft, you never know until right before. Yeah. So you said during last year's draft, you actually weren't certified. And certification, you don't really need it till a guy makes the 40-man roster. So when exactly did you get that certification? And then why did you get it at this point in your career when maybe Kobe's, Kobe and some of your other guys are still in high A, low A? Um, I just always want to be prepared. And just some of the circles and some of the guys I run around, you just you never know. Um, so I took my test this fall and passed it. And, man, I mean, it's an online test, so you think you would get your results back right away. But that three-week waiting period was um, it was tough. It was tough. I was actually, you know, I was out in Knoxville because um, I had season tickets for football and was going to the fall scrimmages and spending some time up there and checked my email and said, congratulations, you've passed. So it was, it was kind of crazy. I was out with a bunch of my great good buddies and great friends. And, you know, I really wasn't even planning on checking my email. I was just like, you know what? You never know. Like, let me see it. It was awesome. It was a fun night. Yeah. So, but when you were going through that certification process and you were studying for the exam, uh, how often were you studying? When exactly did you decide to take that exam in, this, in September? And uh, like, what exactly were you studying for? 
Um, I was studying for the exam. They give you the parts that you have to know. Um, and it is open book, so that kind of helps. And then they have a um, exam review the day before the test. Um, but I was studying for probably a couple months in advance. I mean, I actually tried to take it before I even worked with an agency um, in the fall of 2020. Um, but I actually messed up some of my paperwork and just didn't work out. So um, had to wait till last summer and or last fall. And when that came around, I was like, no way I'm going to miss this and no way I'm not going to pass it. So. All right. So for some of your college guys that you have um, that you're advising, have you looked into working with some NIL stuff with the NIL market that's newly established last year? Yeah. So um, to be honest with you, it's something I've went back and forth with um, for a while. And there are some NIL deals I do take advantage of and look at. Um, you know, if you can just hook them up with some free product every now and then, you know, that's going to make kids happy. Um, but what I actually recommend is, for example, there's a place called Spire Sports in Knoxville, um, and they basically run all the NIL um, for the whole University of Tennessee. Um, so I actually think, you know, I'm not greedy and I'm not needing money from their NIL. I think it's best if they are set up with the one that their university uses um, and get marketing deals through there. Just because, I mean, when you look at it, I mean, Knoxville is not really a great example because I go up there all the time. I have great relationships in Knoxville. But, you know, as someone in Oxford, Mississippi that runs NIL and works with it 24-7 going to be better than me? Or am I going to have better relationships with the local people that are going to be doing these deals? I mean, for me, it's a no-brainer personally um, to get connected with the school's NIL programs. And I think it's only a matter of time before every school has, you know, their own little NIL that runs everything for the athletic program. Yeah, like here in Indiana, in, like IU, Indiana University, where I go, they've got some, they've got a good NAL program that they, like, they work with uh, Open Doors, a couple other companies, and they do a really good job with it. I've worked with some football players just helping them out with some of their NAL stuff. And as I look into like other schools around the state and their, their NAL policies, like I think IU is second to none just in the, within the state. Just because like if I look at Purdue, like some of their NAL policies just aren't there. And IU's got like a nice set in stone policy. And um, hopefully here in these next couple of years that we start seeing a lot of, a lot more colleges go to like actual policies and actually ways they go about the NIL process. Yeah, absolutely. And I saw the thing with Adidas. I mean, I think that's massive. And I think it's super smart where if you go to Adidas schools and athlete, you're going to have a chance to get NIL deal and get money from them. Every athlete that goes to an Adidas school. So I think it's only a matter of time before Nike and Under Armour do the same. Um, and I'm all for the players getting paid. So yeah. I'm really a strong advocate of that. And I think it's well long overdue. I mean, I remember in college, you know, I'd be in classes with football players and we'd be arguing over, you know, it'd be like the football players and me and other athletes basically arguing versus non-athletes of why they should be able to make money and get money and, you know, all that stuff. Yeah. So let's dig into the new CBA. Obviously, it was big news this offseason for the lockout going on for like 90-some days. Um, so if, as you looked over some of the new changes in the new CBA, what are some interesting changes that kind of caught your attention? Because I know there's quite a few that I saw that were like, oh, well, that's actually pretty interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing is just stopping the manipulation of service time. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's hard enough to be in the big leagues for six years before you get your second contract. I mean, the arbitration is great, but when you look at the arbitration, they're still not really getting paid um, necessarily what they deserve. 
I don't think people understand the average person, how hard it is to have a six year big league career. Um, so I think that's, that's one of the really good things that people are going to be able to start getting paid when they're younger. Um, and, you know, I think, I think the pre-R bonus pools genius. I really do think it was a great idea. And I think it's going to be massive for those players um, because I mean, it's like Peter Alonzo, for example, he makes more money in the home run derby each year than he does play in the whole year. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think it's, it's, it's long overdue. It really is. One of the main things that I saw pretty interesting was the new uh, draft policy where if a player gets drafted after the 10th round and goes to a junior college, a team that drafts him after the 10th round holds his, uh, um, like the, not own him, but they can sign him as he Yeah, the follow rule. Yeah, the I, thought, I thought that was pretty interesting. I guess I, real, I didn't realize that that was a rule back years ago, but that's something interesting that I, um, I'll be interested to see how players and teams uh, use that new rule. Yeah. And you won't, you won't meet um, a bigger Juco advocate than me. I mean, especially for these position players, you look on the field at these high majors and even mid majors, there's eight position players on that field. Okay. So you go in as a freshman, you don't play year one, year two, you're kind of battling it out. You're getting some at bats, you know, you're getting some opportunities, but you're not a, you know, they have an older guy or they find someone in the portal then year three, it's like make a break, you know. You got to either really, really ball out, um, and you'll still be restricted a little bit because you won't have as much history. Or, you know, you'll be in a spot where you haven't played in three, two years, and then your third year, you know, you're out there and it's your first time seeing the competition. You're not adjusted yet. Um, so it's really, really hard, especially with these power fives and these mid-majors, because the transfer portal is just killing uh, high school recruiting and you know, you got to be a dude to go on the field, um, truly, at, at the Power 5 level as a freshman. So um, I'm a big fan of JUCO, and, and it's not even really just because you can go get drafted. I mean, the experience you get, you know, you get to go down there and you get to play a whole season in the fall, you know. You get to play your inner squads and a full season at the Power 5s and the D1 level, but it's not like you're playing other teams and you don't know what to expect and what's coming and what each pitcher looks like and – um, I'm a, I'm a massive, massive Juco fan. So I think it's only going to grow that side of it. And I think it's going to be really, really good for the sport because now that they've cut all these teams, there's not, you know, there's not just places you can go put all these high schoolers. So you drafted, you know, you have to be ready to play right away. It's not where you can develop and go sit in these rookie ball leagues for a couple of years, like it used to be. Yeah, that's well. Oh, okay, so you talk about you talk about Major League Baseball getting rid of some of those minor league teams. So let's dig into that a little bit. Obviously, I wasn't the biggest fan when they took away forty minor league baseball teams, took away some of the rookie ball stuff. So, what are your overall thoughts on that? I mean, I, I wasn't a fan of it either, to be honest. But um, you know, they're like, oh, well, they're saving so much money. Well, not really. They're not paying these guys very much um, when you look at it. How much they're making a week. Um, so they're really not saving a lot of money. And, um, you know, you got a lot more guys at the facility now, which is you're getting developmental work, which is important. But, you know, there's nothing like game experience and getting out there and actually playing the game. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, there's high school kids getting drafted. They're going to be at the spring training facility for three years before they ever go step out and play in a high A or low A or any of those games. So just playing that Arizona League and the Florida Development League. 
Yeah. So I've got one last question for you before we end off the podcast. Um, just for, would you have any advice for any aspiring player agent? Let's say they're in college right now. Oh, let's just use me for example. So class of yeah. 24, graduating in 24. I'm starting to build some relationships right now with just some players in the 25, 26 classes. Um, do you have, what, what advice would you have for an aspiring uh, MLB PA certified agent? Yeah, it's all about connections. So just build those relationships as strong as you can. You know, travel ball, high school, college coaches, um, the kids, like you said, the parents, um, just having as many relationships as you can um, and making sure that, you know, you're doing good in your life and you have high character. Um, because if they hear about something you did in the past, you know, it could it could ruin something for you. So you want to be high character and just build relationships. Um, that's the biggest thing. That's what I did when I was in college and it's worked out pretty well for me. I mean, I looked up and had a couple of friends starting in the World Series last year. And it's like, wow, like yeah. they're yeah. starting World Series games. And, you know, in the offseason, we hang out and I see them when I go to games and it's just crazy. Yeah. Well, there we go. That's the podcast, Preston. I, I want to uh, really thank you for coming on the show. It's been a blast. I love learning from you. Uh, I came across your profile from Willie Prince from Black Cobra Media. He was talking about you one day, so I had to give you a follow, reach out, uh, get some knowledge from you. So I'm really ex- I'm thankful for him to bring up your name, and uh, I just thank you for coming on the podcast. Awesome, awesome. Thanks for having me. I definitely look forward to getting back on here at some point. going to do it for another episode of the jkr podcast i'd like to thank preston for coming on the show today definitely had a great time listening to him asking him those questions definitely gained a lot of knowledge from him obviously like i've mentioned tons of times here on the podcast so far i'm trying to be an mlbpa certified agent here in a couple years once i graduate from indiana university so he's definitely a guy that i want to keep in my connections i love learning from him Make sure to tune in next week as we got two former Indiana Hoosiers. We've got Tommy Summer, now in the White Sox organization, a pitcher here. Um, used to be the ace last year and the year before here at Indiana in Bloomington. Also got Matt Litwicky coming on Saturday. He was the closer last season, now in the Red Sox organization. Hopefully these guys are on the fast track to the majors. This is going to be their first full professional baseball seasons coming up. For any more updates on the podcast, make sure to give us a follow at JKR underscore podcast on Instagram and Twitter. Also give us a follow on www.jkrpodcast.com. That's our website. With that being said, that's going to end it off here and I'll catch you guys next week.